Stephanie and Glenn haven't been here. What we're doing is kind of going through Titus 2, and we've gone through verses, uh, Titus 2, 3 through 5, and we've done 3 and 4, and we're just starting Titus 5 today. Did you need something, or are you just windy? Just that deer in the headlights. <laughs> totally, that was... <laughs> that was <laughs> your name. I'm, I'm Ellen. Ellen or Wendy? Ellen. I knew Wendy. I'm Ellen Holman. From the back I know. <laughs> I know. You got it. I'm not on there. I'll write my name on there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can't find in there. We need to make you join. We should have a joining member. I know. It helped Carol so much. So, anyways. Hard. All right. So, um, and we've been really working from the Amplified um, for the most part. And, and so I. On the top of your um, handout, I've got the amplified version of Titus 2, 5, which says, To be self-controlled, chaste, homemakers, good-natured, kind-hearted, adapting and subordinating themselves to their husbands, that the word of God may not be exposed to reproach, blasphemed, or discredited. Let's back up just a second. You know, verses 3 and 4 said, Hey, look, older women, you know, you're supposed to live like this, do all these kind of things, and then you're supposed to teach the younger women all these things. And we talked about loving their husbands, loving their children, and now we're into self-control. And when I looked up the Greek word for this, um, I thought it was interesting. The Greek word for self-control is sophron, sophron, which is of a sound mind, sane in one's senses, curbing one's desires and impulses, self-controlled, temperate. And we've seen a similar word before when I talked about um, verse 4. To be sane and sober of mind in verse 4 is the Greek word for that word, sophronizo. Restore one to his senses to moderate control, curb discipline, to hold one to his duty, to admonish, to exert, Earnestly. So here's the difference. In verse 4, it is a verb. This is what they do. And in verse 5, it's an adjective. It's who they are. And so, um, so we spend a lot of time, you know, Sophron is who a Titus 2 woman is. And um, I know that's awful grammar, but I couldn't figure out how to do it the right way, so I just left it as that. I know you're not supposed to have a d- hanging participle or whatever, but I couldn't figure out a better way to say that when I wanted to say That's what I want to say. Should it say Titus 2 woman is saffron, I guess is what it should be. Anyways, and then the other one is what they do, is what they do. So one's a label that's attached to you, and one is the activities that you do. Um, you know, the first of March, um, I did one of my favorite lessons was, you know, what does a sane woman look like? You know, because there's a whole bunch of crazy women running around, and that's where I talked about um, some of those things, growing in knowledge, being diligent, watching their words, being patient, mindful of their companions, and quick to repent and to receive correction. So that's some of those things of, of, um, of what a woman would look like, what a saffron woman would look like. Today I want to look at um, just um, how a woman can do it. What are some actual steps that we can take in to, to actually be a sane woman, a self-controlled woman, a temperate woman, a disciplined woman? And I think it's important, too, that um, nobody, and I, I mean, I could be wrong. I think I've said this before, and I, if I'm wrong, please give me another solution. I don't know anybody in any field, secular, non-secular, Christian, you know, non-Christian, there's nobody in the field that's successful in that field that's not disciplined, at least in their field. Now, they might be out of control in some areas, but in their field, they're very disciplined. I often think about actors and actresses because, especially because we see their lifestyles, you know, spread across the paper so much, and they're interesting, and you know, or at least we think they're interesting, and and so, um, you know, and you see that uh, a- the actor who I think a Russell Crowe, you know, he can gain seventy-five pounds, you know, which I can do that too, but you know, <laughs> but then he loses it. I mean, you know, 
or they get really cut because they're doing a pirate movie, but then they need to be just kind of a little pouchy because they're a father. I mean, it's just is that discipline that it takes to do that and the memorization of their lines and just, I mean, it does not, and getting up early, going to bed late, long, I mean, actors, how disciplined they've got to be in their field. And I wish there was another way around that, but there's nobody that I know that I want to be like, and I think in the Christian world it's the same way. It's not discipline. They're not disciplined. And they, um, and in our own lives, that's what we've got to do, and it is self-control, but I'm going to talk about that. Um, the King James translation it actually says, instead of to be self-controlled, it says to be discreet, to be discreet. And, um, and I remember a mentor of mine, and probably, well, I've been here six years, so she probably said it eight years ago to me. She said, um, you know, Becky, you need to just be discreet. And I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> What that really meant to be discreet, you know, I've heard that uh, terms before. But it, and I, so I looked up in the dictionary. It says to be careful and circumspect in one's speech or actions, especially in order to avoid causing offense or to gain an advantage. That was really a, a big part of what my thing was, is I would not necessarily be as discreet as I should be because I wanted to get an advantage. Maybe because my whole issue was people pleasing, and so I'm going to be the life of the party because I want everybody to like me. You know, I'm going to gain an advantage over them. I'm sure there was times that I was offensive too, but I'm probably still working on that more than the other one. And then I had to look up circumspect because I didn't quite understand what circumspect means. And it said it's wary and unwilling to take risk. And I thought, but I'm a risk taker. I'm a huge risk taker. So how does that work? And the balance comes into um, what you're taking a risk for and who you're taking that risk for. And I'm not willing to um, mar the name of Christ, mar the gospel of Christ, um, by doing things that would cause um, his name or his image to be tarnished. Um, so I don't want to risk that, but I'm going to live a reckless life because of my security in Christ. Does that kind of make sense of what those, that balance is? I don't want to risk him. I don't want to risk, you know, I don't want to do something that people would say, and she calls herself a believer. You know, I mean, we joke about this, but then I'm better than I used to be. But, you know, there's no Christian symbol on my vehicle. I mean, there's no pro There's nothing on my vehicle. <laughs> it's white. You know, no, a tan, it's as bland as as normal as you can be because I don't want to, ha- you know, because I know there'll be times that I'll be, I'll make a face or snarl or, you know, I don't hop my horn quite as much as I used to, but there was a time. Um, and she said to me, stay in the back of the room. Just kind of imagine stay in the back of the room and just be discreet instead of having to bust in and be in, in control of everything. And I thought that was really mindful because it helps you be aware, circumspect, which is circumference, 360 degrees around you. I'm going to walk in, I'm going to see what my situation is, you know, see what the status is. You know, I'm very demonstrative in my worship, but when I go to the 930 service, I'm pretty demonstrative for the 930, but it's nothing like I'd be at the 630 service, you know. I mean, running the aisles kind of thing is what I would do because I, wanted, I don't want to be offensive to anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to, you know, so being self-controlled in that area. So four things that we're going to talk about. Number one is to take self out of it. We want to be a woman who lives self-controlled. We need to take self out of it, which is kind of like crazy. How do you take self out of it when it's self-controlled? And we're going to talk a little bit further and want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit on that. But, you know, there's a scripture that says, and I couldn't find it this morning, and I'm sure as soon as I say it, you guys will remember what it is. Where does it say the heart is despicably wicked above all things? And it was a minor prophet that I think said that. But it was the Old Testament. You know, we've been given a new heart, you know, and a new mind and a new soul and all that. I mean, a new heart and a new mind. But if we just go on ourselves, just live on ourselves, it's going to lead us astray nine times out of ten. 
just our own flesh and our emotions. You know, so let's go to Ephesians. And I stacked all together, so it's... Thank you. It's in the NIV, it's the heart of and I couldn't find, spell this morning. I couldn't spell deceitful, so then <laughs> I did that. Okay, Ephesians, um, which is the New Testament all the way toward the back. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God eats popcorn. General Electric Power Company. And mine is always associated with food, so mine's you know, <laughs> God eats popcorn. Um, Ephesians four twenty-two through twenty-five. This is what it says. Um, I'm going to back up to 20 and and it says but that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness Therefore, having to put, a, put away all falsehood, any fa- I'm sorry, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So our old self, we need to put off our old self. But what's so important, that's number two, is that we're going to have to put on new stuff. We've got to put on new stuff. I also want to head over to Galatians 2.20, which is just to the left of Ephesians. And we've heard this before about dying to Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I. It is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's the great exchange. I'm taking self out of it, and I'm putting on Christ in the midst of those things. And that's what the great exchange is. And so we always need to be taking self out of it and put Christ in it. And, it, you know, it is cliche. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? You know, but what's so wonderful is we don't have to just guess at what Jesus would do or guess at what Jesus would think because we have the Bible. And it tells us again and again and again what he would do and what he would think. And the many, 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 99.9%, I always said that to you, if there's something that you don't know what the truth is, I bet you the truth is in the scripture. There's something in there in the scripture. And, um, and that's not manipulating it. And if it's just one verse, I probably wouldn't hang my hat on it. But if there's, you know, I can find three or four on that. We've got to take off the old self, put on the new self, and walk in the spirit that's available to us, which is the second one, is to be filled with the spirit. When it says... Um, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When it says in um, Ephesians 4, what I just read, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, um, that's a present active participle. That means your renewing is an ongoing renewing. Salvation is one time, one shot, once saved, always saved, make a decision for Christ. I am justified as if I had never sinned. I'm, I'm, I'm it. I'm justified. But then there's this process called sanctification, which we're talking about. And then the other thing is glorification. So how I like to see it is down here is justification. One time decision was made for Christ. I received Christ as if I'd never sinned. Way down here is glorification. Or we really cash in on, the, on what Jesus did for us in the sense of our death. We'll, you know, we have victory over death when we made that decision, but this is when we really experience that victory over death. And this is called glorification. When we get a new body. Between justification and glorification is sanctification. And that is the transforming and making us more and more like Christ. And the way we do that is we renew our minds in the Spirit, and we're filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, um, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. 
And that can happen in a, a myriad of ways. But it is an effort and it is an intentionality of how you can be filled with the Spirit. Um, you know, I, and I think scripturally I can back this up, that um, upon salvation I receive all the Spirit. I have it all. And everything that I need is in the Spirit and it's available to me. As I grow in my, but it's almost like I, because of the sins and the stuff and the baggage and the issues in my life, it's like I, I, how I see it, it's like I put a cap on it, you know. And then as I work to take those things off of my life, then I'm filled with the experience, with, and I'm filled even deeper with the Holy Spirit. Do I think that in those times, and it can be, I mean, we've got tons of um, classic Christian believers that tell of, an infilling of the Holy Spirit that becomes greater. And I really think it's an outflowing more than an infilling because I think we're fully in. There's more of an outflowing that occurs. And there's a deeper walk and a deeper walk, and there's even sometimes some physical manifestations that happens as you go on that walk and as you walk with the Lord. I mean, you know, God can do amazing and great things, and I'm not gonna, never going to question the prophet of the Lord, and I'm going to trust him to do things in me that are beyond my wildest imaginations. So there's a deeper growth in that, and I think then there's some highlights that you have, some markers that come along the way. D.L. Moody talked about he had had a saving knowledge of Christ, had began his evangelism work um, in Chicago and was really doing great, mighty things, but he was doing it all in the flesh. And he finally went away for about six weeks and had been approached by a lot of people, and people were praying for him to really just, be, just do it all in the Spirit and quit trying to do it in the flesh. Trust the Spirit to do the work. And he had a huge experience with the Lord and um, with the Holy Spirit. And after that, his work just became drastically different. And um, I think that's true in our own lives that can happen. Um, I do believe that we have those mountaintop experience. And if our last mountaintop experience was, you know, in 1997, I'm thinking, you know, what's going on, guys? You know, because we can have mountaintop experiences in our valleys. We can have mountaintop experiences in our difficult times. We can have mountaintop experience in our hard times. But we need to be putting ourselves in places where we can experience him and be filled with the Spirit. And so that is through worship. That is through church attendance. That is through Sunday school. That is through Bible study. That is through fellowship with believers. Just going out and having coffee. Just going out and having lunch with friends. Um, putting ourselves in an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a one-on-one experience. It's a one-on-one experience. We can go to all the programs we want. We can be in church every single day that the door is open. But unless we are taking time by ourselves, one-on-one, and in the Word, we're never going to experience the true infilling of the Holy Spirit in such a way that um, produces amazing life and abundancy. And that helps us operate in self-control because it gives us the power to do that. One verse that really convicts me because I don't always, I don't always, lots of times, I will start in the Spirit and finish in the flesh. And it... um, Galatians 3.3. This is, I, I, it's so funny how I, I, uh, I heard about this. Um, I was sitting in a row um, one Sunday. I don't even know how I ended up over there because it's not even the section I normally sit. This is about three years ago, four years ago. And I was in Tammy Head's class, and Tammy Head is, is good friends with Beth Moore. And so it was me, Tammy, Beth, and I don't know who, you know, her husband was somewhere, and Tammy's husband was somewhere. And pastor said something. And Beth wrote in real big print to Tammy, Galatians 3.3. You know, so of course I'm looking at what Galatians 3.3 is. And it's this verse. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, I get a word from the Lord. I get directions from the Lord. I know, okay, Lord, this is what you want me to do. This is the path I'm supposed to take. And then I never check back in with him. 
And I just keep doing it all in my own flesh. And I come into the roadblocks and the difficulties. And, I'm, hey, I'm a strong, independent girl. I can figure this out. And I figure it out. And the Lord's like, well, okay. You know, I could have helped you with that. You know, but if you want to do it and do it in the flesh, I'll let you do it in the flesh. And how, I, how I'm, I'm going to use this analogy before, and I think it's so true, is that, you know, when we do that, it's like a game of baseball. And, and we might get along. We might eventually get to the point that God wants us to, but it's like we're using bunts and singles and sacrifice flies to, you know, score runs, as opposed to when we do it in the spirit. Man, we're hitting home runs and triples and doubles, and we're not even having to work at it. We just get up there and swing the bat, and it's just as easy as, you know, anything else. And I'm not saying it's always easy. Huh? It's hard work to serve God in the flesh. Oh, yeah. Very hard work. It is hard work. It's hard work. And if all of a sudden it's like, gosh, why is this so hard? I think so often we would say, well, maybe it's because we're trying to do it in the flesh. I mean, I even think opening doors. I mean, as you guys know, well, some of you guys, well, three-fourths of you guys know, I guess. But, you know, starting this new consulting business. I mean, I like officially, um, there'll be two weeks on Tuesday. I mean, I mean, and, I mean, people are calling me, you know, and saying, hey, I want you to, I want this and I want that engagement. And can you help me come do this and come talk to me? And will you do a proposal for us? And, and um, you know, and I'm. I'm good for the next 90 days with just the engagements that I've been given. Come on in, Peggy. You know, and so, I mean, it just is shocking to me, really, because the, there's a huge part of me that's used to, you know, I don't even have decent business cards yet. I don't have a web page up. I mean, even the other day I went to an event last night, and I thought, I need to take business cards, and then I forgot, and I didn't take them. And I'm there at the event, and somebody says, well, you got a card? I need, you know, I need a speaker for this event. You'd be perfect, blah, blah, you know. And I'm like, no, I don't have a card. Because, you know, I always want to, I want to do it perfect. I want to do it just right. And the Lord's doing it for us, doing it for me. And it's much easier and it's not anywhere near as hard as, um, as I think it's been in the past. Now, things are going well, you know. And so when things aren't going well, you know, I think it's kind of like the, you know, the new believers, you need to ask them to pray for you because God always answers new believers' prayers. And I, I think right now he just knows that I need a whole lot of reassurance that this was the right decision, you know. And then... Further down the road, he might, he won't pull the rug out from underneath me, but sometimes I think that's what happens. So, it is hard work when we do it in the flesh, when we do it in the flesh. The next thing is fully operating in the fruit of the Spirit. If we really want to be um, a woman that's self-controlled, we need to fully operate in the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 21 through 23, and actually it's just really 22 and 23 that I want to talk about, um... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hey, dear. And, um, you know, God's, God's Word is inspired. Um, it's not every word has intentionality. Um, even the order of the words, I think, has intentionality. Um, you could say the Sermon on the Mount, and, and each process that you go through, right? They're the Beatitudes, I'm sorry, which is from the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, you study those Beatitudes. They build on each one of them. One has to come after another, after another, after another. I believe, and this is Becky's, this is Becky's commentary. This, you know, it might be in somebody else's, but I didn't read it anywhere else. But, you know, so this is write it in pencil. But I think the fruit of the Spirit is the very same way. You can't really have joy in your own personal life until you have love. And you can't have love and joy in your life until you have peace. I mean, you can't have peace in your life until you have love and joy in your life. And you sure can't have patience in your life. Long-suffering with other people is really what that means. <laughs> like waiting patiently in line is, doesn't count for the fruit of the Spirit, okay? 
It's waiting patiently with a cashier who is clueless about what she's doing <laughs> while waiting in line. That is waiting patiently. Um, but love, joy, peace, they build on each other. And I think that's why self-control is the very end. Because it takes a mature Christian, a mature, fruit-using, spirit-filled woman of God to live in self-control. That doesn't excuse new believers that, hey, well, you, you know, you, you don't have, because they have the fruit, it's available to them. But I know in my own personal life, the longer I walk and the more mature I get in my faith, these other things become easier and easier in my life, you know. But for us to learn love, God has to put the unlovely in our lives. Because if we love those who are lovely, then that's, that's really not love, <laughs> you know. But the, really, it's almost like pushing out of the ground. He's got to put something difficult in our life that will bear love. He's got to put difficult circumstances in our life that anybody else would not be joyful. And it's going to bear joy in our lives. Patience. Difficult people and difficult things in our lives to bear patience in our lives. You know, that's always been the joke when I ever ask for patience. Because God will then send you things in your life to test your patience. And it's the same way. You know, God, I'm, you know, teaching on self-control. And this week, I have an exercise this week. I have eaten like crazy this week. I'm like, no, I mean, I have not. I mean, so here we go. God's like, here's your chance to practice self-control, you know. And um, I didn't even practice it. I didn't even um, work on it. So, yeah, I was pretty convicted this morning. So, um, and I haven't quite figured this out, what this means. And I talked to other people about it. But isn't it interesting that the end of 23 says, and a good, against such things, there is no law. There is no law. And how I see that is that the law is judgment and condemnation. Why do we have the law? So we can say what's right and what's wrong. And that's why we have the law. You know, and then you've got somebody to administer that law. You've failed or you haven't failed. But if we walk in the Spirit, or we've done wrong or we haven't done wrong, if we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law against us. There is no condemnation against us. I mean, if we're operating in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, and self-control, no one's going to say, you know, you've messed up. That doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we're perfect, but that we can, people can look and say, hey, you know, you've you got to give it to her because she's full of love. You know, you've got to give it to her because she's patient in, in the midst of what's going on like that, whatever that situation. Does that make sense? That's just, again, those, that's Becky's commentary and all that. Give me a pencil. Anybody have any other thoughts about, anybody had read that and wondered what in the world is that there for? question but it's not on that it's back okay you were talking about and i, I want to know um it's your experience mm -hmm. just curious whenever you were had to make a decision on whether you were going to stay mm -hmm. with or start on your own what did you feel like what were you going through did, even though i know you wanted to stay where it was safe right yeah so you knew you had to step out yeah so yeah did, do you how do you feel now that you've stepped out are you at peace are you calm yeah well, I think Carol probably can answer that better because she walked with me through the whole thing in the sense of the Wednesday morning that I was supposed to talk up at Round Top is what I'm thinking about, but go ahead. Um, I don't remember the Wednesday morning. Well, we were at Round Top, and I, we had had all that yuck happen the day before. Yeah. And I was, you said, you were, I spoke for about an hour, and then you came and you said, Becky, you're really at peace, aren't you? I oh, just. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, I'm, I've known Becky now for almost six years, and. I've seen dramatic change in her, but the biggest change was in this leaving Lighthouse, and I believe that, I really believe that God orchestrated everything that happened at Lighthouse to move Becky because she would have never moved. I mean, it, you, you loved what you were doing. 
thing. And it was safe. It was good. Yeah. And it was easy. <laughs> and it, but I have watched her so at peace all the way through this. And not worrying about finances because she was financially in the position where she could knew she could live for three months on what she had saved. So the finances were not a problem there. And then just waiting on God. That, that to me is the most important thing we do is to wait on him, not make a move until he guides us. She waited on God. Then he began to open up the doors and honestly, I don't think I don't think you have lost any money at this point, even though she's not on salary any longer. You know, it's just I when God is there. in the middle of something, He's totally in the middle of it, mm -hmm. and we can know that. It's just it's yeah. beautiful to watch. You know, in in that Wendy, I think that I mean, I'm just the biggest thing was the overriding peace. I mean, I, I realized that about thirty days into it, I thought I haven't lost any sleep over this. I could go to sleep at night and stay asleep and, you know, not just fall asleep from exhaustion and wake up three hours later all worried about it. Um, we came in from the air, at the airport last week and that lady that had been on your board, you ran into her oh. and she rushed up. She said, how are you? I need a hug. <laughs> and I knew she, what she meant. Yeah. She meant, oh my gosh. Are you falling apart? <laughs> <laughs> It yeah. was so cute. I loved it because that's what she expected, but that wasn't what she saw. And so, does that answer? I mean, does that help? It? So I was, that experience of feelings of that, as well as huge confirmation from a few circle of mentors and counselors that I have in my life, and kind of taught, started talking to them via email, this is what's going on, what do you think? And every single one of them resoundingly said, you know, Becky, this is what you need to do. One, who is actually my spiritual parent, Dave, and said, you know, Beck, we thought this six months ago. It was time for you to leave Lifehouse. So those kind of things are that counsel that are like, you know, and no, and they're like, you know, God's got really big things for you. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, well, what are they? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that destiny from last week that I talked about the kids, well, they're telling me. Becky, just step out there. It's great big things. We don't know what it is, you know. And, yeah. you know, well, you can come live in our basement, kind of. We'll help you in the process. But, you know, it's like, you know, I'm 45. I don't know if I want to go move back in my basement. <laughs> but counselors and just the individual piece that was, that I had, that was overriding, was really profound in, the, in that decision to make, to move Did on. Did God give you any verses? I was trying to think about that as in my scripture, if there was times that he really just, um, spoke to me. And I, I mean, the only thing was Abraham. Just keep on going back to Abraham. Actually, when it was, when it was Abram, and, you know. When he didn't know where he was going. Yeah, when Carol, I mean, Carol said that to me when I moved to Texas, but I really think it was true at this point where, you know, um, he was praised in Hebrews 11 because, you know, Abraham, what's the verse? He went to a country. Hebrews 11, 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Yeah. It's just like I was called to leave, but I didn't, I didn't even know then it was a consulting business. I mean, I didn't know until I resigned, and a week later, somebody sends me an email. Five days later, somebody sends me an email and said, Becky, would you consider consulting for us? I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> it was like all I knew was resign and then work whatever the resignation was. One of the things you were taking each step at a time. I was just doing this. And this is, this is the way it felt. You know, sometimes you take a step and you just want to kind of, you know, then you're just like in, in an at-ease position kind of thing. This is the step. 
<laughs> and so I knew there was another step coming. I didn't know how long we were going to be or what the next step was. Or what. And so, here, you know, so man, talk about being ready because this is uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, talk about listening. Yeah. So that email comes, Lord, is this what you want me to do? You know, and so I meet with her and I say, this is, how much would I charge? You know, and the Lord's like, ding, ding, ding. I mean, he gives me. So the Lord's given me three clear things. I'm going to write in my blog probably later this week. You know, I'm do this consulting business, write a book, and then I've got an opportunity to work with this organization called the Master's Program to do life coaching. Um, <clears throat> really anywhere, but that's the big thing. So <clears throat> it was just take the next step. And so that, the, that came in. It was like I'm supposed to take two weeks off of vacation. I knew that. So I did that. While I was on that vacation, somebody called me. Back, hey, we got a special event coming up in, in the end of May. Would you do it for us? You know, help us put it together and then launch off for the September event. Sure. You know. <laughs> you want to pay me to do this? <laughs> you know, last week I'm eating dinner. I'm going to lunch with a friend who, you know, and I'm, she's telling me what her problems are at her nonprofit. And I said, well, I probably could help you. So, I mean, you mean put a proposal together? Yeah, Becky, put a proposal. We need you, you know. Okay. You know, and so you put the proposal together. No, and did you tell them last week about what you got to do with Kim Tico? No, I just had done it Sunday night. Yeah. I just did it, yeah. And, I mean, that was amazing. Yeah. They did for you. Oh, yeah, well, when I... Oh, this is the group that... that the, My first engagement, part of my payment package was they actually... Um, they redid my hair, did my color, did all that, had and then had... Um, a, they, I think she's, I don't know what she's called officially, something diva, dressing diva, the, the dressing diva. She came in and they bought me three suits, three um, pair of shoes. These are new pair of shoes that I got from them. And, um, so, which I never would buy. You know, I'm a black pump girl. You know, I'd never buy these. So they, they just, I mean, it's, and they just gave me. You know, they didn't give it to me because I'm, but then I got to MC an event with Tim Tebow that was awesome and fantastic and great fun. And so, anyways, so does that kind of answer a whole lot more than you thought? Okay. <laughs> Fully operating the fruit of the Spirit. So, so if in our own personal lives, you know, we aren't experiencing self-control or we're not experiencing kindness or we're not experiencing peace, you know, sometimes we can go to this fruit and just look at it and say, okay, Lord, do I really have love going on? Is that where the issue is? Do I really have joy going on? What am I missing? What's missing so that I can't go to that next level that I'm really working on in self-control? Because, you know, and we forget this. Um, it's over in Titus, and I can give you the exact verse probably. I'm not even able to find it. But it says that, you know, we think grace is this big, huge, fuzzy blanket. Um, No, I can't find it, um, but I'll get it for you later. We think grace is this big, huge, fuzzy blanket that just covers all of our sin. But the Bible says grace is the ability to say no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. And that's what it says. I think it's in Titus. It says no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. And basically, that's what self-control is. I'm saying no to anything that's not righteous, and I'm saying yes to what's righteous. And for each one of us, that, that matters and varies in difference, you know, for Carol, because she's a, you know, her trigger food for her is smooth and creamy, and so that's rich, sugary desserts. Carol has to say no to rich, sugary desserts. And when she practices in self-control, that's what she's saying no to. But for somebody else, that might not be their no. You know, their no might be meats. You know, I mean, I don't know, whatever their issues are in that. Um, 
But it's also just even saying in, in, in the words that we speak, to speak. Um, I was having dinner with a girlfriend, and, and um, no, it was a, that was a good story too, but this is the better story. She just had given up the right to be understood, and that was the bottom line. She just, there was this issue, it wasn't with her husband, it was a work situation where she just wanted to be understood, and she just wanted this one guy who was in a subordinate of her to just really understand the position she was coming from and why she was leading the, it was a worship team, why she was leading the worship team in this direction. And she just had to die to the right to be understood. And that was saying no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. And to be okay with him not understanding. You know? And we get into that kind of thing. But that is what grace is. And we always talk about, you know, and so when we say, you know, um, he gives grace to the humble. Why do I want to humble myself? Because I need more grace. And why do I need more grace? Because I need to say no to unrighteousness. And why do I say no to unrighteousness? Because I need the fruit of the Spirit to fully flow in my life. And to do that, I've got to operate in self-control. I mean, that's how we take the Word of God and we make it applicable to our lives to play it out in our own situations. And then finally, and this is really a key. This is probably the key to all this. We can do all those kind of things, but then we cannot grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, Ephesians 4.30. Okay. Titus 2.11. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. 2.12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So it's really 2.12. Yeah. The grace is 2.12. I actually had it right here. And then... um, So, bring salvation, but then it also brings upon us the ability to say no. So that's good. Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, and so often, um, that grieving, it's in what I have is that it's grieving by rejection. It's saying no to him. No to the Holy Spirit. And it's really basically, the big key on this is obeying. It's just simply obeying. So we need to obey the Holy Spirit. And when we don't obey the Holy Spirit, then we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And I think that is um, so key. Because we can know all this and do all the right things and even have the ability. I mean, this week I can give you an example of the Lord clearly saying, you know, especially in the area of eating for me this week, don't eat that. And I said, no. I can run tomorrow. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. And that's not... Definitely being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's definitely not walking the fruit of the Spirit. It's definitely not um, getting self out of the way. I wanted it and I ate it. I mean, how banal, no, that's not the right word. How basic is that? I mean, I can't even say no to food. You know, but I freely admit that's my addiction as if it was an alcoholic and that's a whole other story and a whole other issue. But to really operate in self-control and to be filled with the Spirit, I need to be able to say no. And when he says no... It's no. But it's not later and it's not at another time. It's immediate and complete obedience. Not temporary obedience. It's immediate and complete obedience. And, you know, the Old Testament is full of those situations where it wasn't immediate and it wasn't complete. I just read a story. I mean, I won't go into it. But just to give you a night that Joshua 
had um, the Gibeonites ones who deceived Joshua when they went into the promised land, and the Gibeonites were the second people that they had um, uh, kind of had the encounter with after the Jericho wall fell down. And so they were running high and living large, and the Gibeonites knew that these were powerful people, and that not only did they were followed of God, but when they went into a city, they utterly destroyed it. Everything was destroyed. So the Gibeonites um, were deceitful or, or wise serpents, and um, so they got gnarly old clothes and moldy bread and, and walked the short distance that it was to, to meet um, Joshua and his folks, and they said, we have traveled from a distant, distant, distant country, and we want to make peace with you. And the, the scriptures, the Lord very clearly commanded, don't make um, peace or any kind of treaty with anybody. Anybody. And um, long story short, they did. And they believed the Gideonites. They made peace with them. They actually enslaved them. You know, they'd rather be enslaved than to be dead. And they actually enslaved the Gideonites. And the Gideonites served the Israelites, you know, forever. And eventually, after time, it overchanged. Fast forward to um, uh, King Saul and... Um, King Saul attacked the Gibeonites and killed people when he, there was this treaty because they'd made a vow, which is, goes back to keeping vows and all that stuff. Fast forward another 20, 30, 40 years. There's, no, there's not peace in the land. There's actually a famine in the land of King David. And the King David inquires of the Lord, and King David says, you know, hey, it's because Saul violated the peace treaty with the Gibeonites. And so the Gibeonites had to... Um, uh, so David had to give all of Saul's sons and grandsons, which included Mephibosheth, which is a, that story that we know about him, David rescuing him. And then they killed them all. I mean, this, but this is, I say all that to say partial disobedience. Partial disobedience leads to such mess way down the road. Way down the road. And we want, we, he desires complete and immediate obedience, and when we don't, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit, we're really grieving our own souls, we're really hurting ourselves. So... Just a couple of things and our takeaways and we'll be done. Um, number one, are you that, you know, self-controlled woman? The saffron woman. And are you doing what they would do? Are you watching your words? Do you have good companions? Are you patient? Are you receiving correction? And just a real very, 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 very practical is here are six areas in our lives that you can look at and say, hey, do I need more self-control in those areas? Do I need to be more intentional in these areas? In my faith? In my family? in my friends, in my finances, in my fitness, and in my firm. And your firm being your career. You know, how am I doing in those areas? How do they look? Is it just loosey-goosey and it's no discipline in that area? There's no self-control? You know, with my faith, you know, I go to church, you know, once every six weeks, you know, just because I should or, you know, because I'm telling you, not every Sunday morning do I want to come to church. Lots of Sunday mornings I don't want to get up and come to church. But I've never regretted ever getting up and coming to church. Never, ever regret it. Do I want to always have my quiet time? No, I don't always want to have my quiet time. It is sometimes in my quiet time, and they're just a check mark, and I just did it. Yes. You know, family, friends, finances, fitness, firm, all those things that we can look at and do that, because if we don't, we run into a mess. And so, anyways, how to be self-controlled. And when we live self-controlled life, when we live disciplined lives, we have such influence in people's life. I've got to tell the story, and then we'll finish. Sarah Milkey is a friend of Carol and mine. She's in her late 20s, um, and um, just a gorgeous, gorgeous girl. And um, she felt called of the Lord um, to full-time ministry. Her parents had been in ministry. Both her parents had gone to 
Louisville to Southern Seminary and gotten there, and one of them probably is a doctorate or whatever, and they're all in full-time ministry, and 10, 12, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, she felt called of the Spirit to uh, go into full-time ministry, specifically with women and with teaching and writing and doing devotions. So she started that process of doing that, going to school, going to seminary eventually and all that stuff. Along the way, though, she became, I mean, by definition and by her doctors and by her own testimony, morbidly obese, extremely morbidly obese. And, um, and she did not connect the dots of what kind of impact can I have in the world if I'm morbidly extremely obese. And, um, and Sarah tells the story of sitting down with her dad and her dad loving her enough to say, I know this is what you're called to do, but let's look at some scriptures. And finally made the connection that God does care about what I eat. And um, so she started the journey, and I guess four years ago, five years it was ago. Last Saturday in Paducah, and I think she said. No, this is that's the that's first. not. Wait, but no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay. Sorry. She's five or six years ago. She started losing the weight, and it hasn't didn't come off immediately. It didn't happen immediately. Yesterday, after losing 178 pounds, she ran for the very first time a full marathon. Ooh. Talk about influence. Because she finally got disciplined. She finally got operated in the one area. I mean, man, she was having her quiet time. Ching, 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 no problem at all. You know, getting her studies done. But, man, God said operate in self-control. And you know what? I don't think she's ever, never going back. What story, what part of the story she are you going to tell? She said that was when she gave her testimony in Paducah, she said that was the first time she'd ever said that she weighed 350 pounds. Over, yeah, yeah over she 350. never had told that to anybody until she got to where she is. Now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but man, what kind of influence? But she knows, hey, if I'm undisciplined, I'm not going to have the influence that I have in my life. People are out of control in their finances. They're out of control. You know, it says in the scripture, if, you're, the, the, if you cannot be an elder of a church if you can't control your kids. That's what the scripture says. You can't control your family? Step down. Go work on your family before you start working on what's going on with the church. I mean, so it's not just food is my, my issue. That's, of those six, that's where my you know, fitness falls in it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this is my own life, and I'm just, you know, realizing it from my, you know, now where I'm at. But when I came back, I stopped doing a lot of things, you know. And for a lot of it was like, you know, I call it my nodding, N-O-T-I-N-G. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing mm. this, I'm not doing this, you know. And, you know, God set me free from a lot of stuff, you know. Drinking, smoking, browsing around, you know, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And some of that, you know, yes. I should have replaced things, and no one taught me that. Yep. Yeah. And now it's like, it's easier to keep something going when it's moving. A lot of, like, warfare and stuff like that. Oh, it's going to get easier. Well, it doesn't mm. get easier. Mm. Yeah. And now I'm trying to go back at it, and it's like, it's so hard to <laughs> That's right. The mojo ain't going, and so. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm starting to get the self-discipline, which I never had. But the main point is, like, you know, I wished as I went along. Yeah. You would put on. Mm-hmm. A lot of. Yeah. You know, like I gave up this and then replaced it with something, but I didn't. Yeah. Know, yeah. Know. And it creates it's a vacuum, better, and it's going to get filled with something. I wasn't right. saying I wasn't yeah. doing anything. Right. But it wasn't like. No. You know, I, like I wish I did that. 
And that's the key. I mean, both in, he talks about put the old self on, put the, put, take the old self off, put the new self on. That same verse that, that Carol just read, you know, Titus 2, you're saying no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. You can't just say no. And that's what, you know, we get legalistic and we're saying no, 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 no. And, and it's like do, 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 do. Yeah, exactly. And we expect, we also create a formula. We think, okay, I've said no to, I've said no to all this. So everything's going to be, so be rosy and perfect. It's like, right. it's just half of what you need to do. Start saying <laughs> yes to righteous things, and then we'll do that. So let me pray, and then we'll scoot out of here. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today. Lord, I bless these ladies, and Lord, I just pray that um, we'll have opportunities this week, uh, even today, to be mindful and be aware of uh, your fruit of the Spirit working in us, those things that are unlovely and unjoyful and not patient and all those things, Lord, that we would choose by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, choose to walk in that fruit of the Spirit and not walk in our flesh. Lord, I thank you for these ladies, and I pray that you would um, continue to minister in great, mighty ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.